The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Luke chapter 13 verses 22 to 30. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer you, I do not, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Please be to God. Please. When I add my welcome to that of uh, Josh's uh, from earlier, my name is Frank Hitchings. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, and we are glad you're here this morning. Some of you may be here for the very first time, some of you may be longtime members, anything in between. We're glad you're here, and we trust the Lord will bless your time. Uh, with us. Um, before we dive into this passage, though, uh, and spend a few minutes on it, I want us to uh, uh, reflect, and I've shared this, if you've been here before, I've shared this part of this quote with you before, this quote that's uh, really stuck with me from John Newton, uh, the writer of Amazing Grace, the ex-slave trader uh, who was converted and, um, and ministered uh, throughout the UK. He has this quote on the gift and importance of Scripture, and I'm going to read it in a little bit more of the context than I uh, read it to you when I shared it before. But here's what he says. He says, if you wander from Scripture in pursuit either of present peace or future hope, your search will always end in disappointment. For Scripture is the fountain of living waters, and if you forsake it, and give preference to broken cisterns of your own devising, they will fail you when you most need them. Rejoice, therefore, that such a treasure is put in your hands. Let's pray. Father, we do rejoice that you have put such a treasure, Holy Scripture, in our hands. Lord, for, for, for many of us, we have many copies of this, different versions versions we got when we first joined the church, versions we've got through the years. Indeed, it's a treasure, Lord, and we begin just by confessing that, that we don't read it and study it as much as we should. But we thank you for the gift of it, for the importance of it in our lives, for the way that you've used it to grow us in our faith, to call us to faith to start with and then grow us in grace. And we ask this morning that you would use it once more to change our hearts to deepen us in faith and repentance, to deepen us in our knowledge of who you are and what you've done for us in Christ, that through the miracle of your grace, 
people like us might be able to live lives that would bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Many of you will recognize the name Alistair Begg. Uh, Alistair Begg is uh, originally from Glasgow, Scotland, I believe. He's the senior pastor of Parkside Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He's served there for the last 40 years. And this past summer, he was our guest preacher for the George Long Preaching Series. I was reading some of the works uh, uh, that he's published And I read this week him sharing an encounter that he had a few years ago while he was putting the finishing touches on a message he was about to deliver at Harvard. Can you imagine being called to speak at Harvard? It was early in the morning and he was sitting in a restaurant right there in Harvard Yard thinking of how out of his element he really felt. As he was working on the passage, he watched Cambridge wake up as it was because he, w- he woke up very early and was in the restaurant when it first opened and he watched the restaurant fill up with all sorts of different people, different kinds of people. And again, the university culture was a bit overwhelming to him and he was feeling a bit insignificant and then two things happened that really encouraged him. And the first was this, a sparrow flew in the door and landed on his table in the restaurant. And he was reminded about Jesus' words about him caring for the sparrows. And then he looked across the aisle and he saw a young Asian girl intently reading what appeared to be a Bible right there on Harvard Yard. He watched her for a few moments and concluded that she was reading a Bible, so he asked her. He said, I see you're reading a Bible. Are you a Christian? And she smiled and replied, oh yes, I am. I have found the narrow way. He said, I've never heard anybody answer the question that way before. And as he reflected on it, more and more, it became really a remarkable answer. And and she explained that she had come all the way from Korea to study at Harvard, Harvard and was converted and was now the only Christian in her whole family. She was 10,000 miles from her Buddhist home in the midst of Harvard's aggressive pluralism that can tolerate just about anything except the exclusive claims of Jesus. And there, in that most unlikely of places, she had come to know Christ and express her faith by saying, I found the narrow way. Alistair goes on to talk about what an encouragement that was to him as he went on to powerfully preach to a group of people that day who desperately needed to know that the entrance to God's kingdom indeed is narrow. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. The entrance to the kingdom is narrow. And in this passage we have before us this morning, he's setting forth this same crucial truth as he heads to Jerusalem to die on a Roman cross. As he heads to Jerusalem to take upon himself the punishment for the sins of all who would trust in him. As he's heading to Jerusalem, we see his immense compassion in this passage as he pauses to answer this curious question, this abstract question. So let's look at it together for a few minutes this morning. First, your outline's in your bulletin, by the way, along with the printed scripture First, I want you to see Jesus graciously receives, <coughs> me, receives a curious question. Verse 22, he says, uh, Luke writes, Jesus went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. 
There it is. He's heading to Jerusalem, heading to the cross. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, Luke's trying to tell us right at the beginning, he's trying to show us immediately that even though Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, even though he's on his way to die, he's still stopping to teach in towns and villages along the way. He's still sharing the good news that the kingdom of God has arrived. He's still looking to the ultimate needs of his listeners. And in one of those towns, someone's asking this question, this curious question, this abstract question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, to us, that's kind of a strange question. But it was very relevant for the, the state of, the, of, of religion in his day, or sta- the state of Judaism in his day. It was widely discussed in his day. The, the rabbis held differing opinions about it. But one thing is clearer in the rabbis' writings than that is this. They pretty much all agreed that all of Israel would be saved, except for those Jews who maybe cooperated with the Roman occupiers. There's no hope for them, but for the rest of the Jews, they'll all be saved. In fact, uh, the Mishnah, which is the written record of the oral law of the, of the rabbis, the written record organized by subjects, the, the Mishnah says this, all Israelites have a share in the world to come. So when they asked this question, when this man asked this question, those listening to Jesus' answer were expecting to hear him affirm that yes, all Jews will be saved unless they fall into that category of those who have cooperated with the Romans or done something really horrible. They would have also expected him to say that even as all Jews will be saved, all Gentiles will not be saved. Maybe except for a few who follow the examples, the Old Testament examples of people like Rahab or Ruth. Maybe there's, there's salvation for them, but not for the rest of the Gentiles. So most likely, what I want you to see here is most likely this was a presumptive query from this man meant to uh, solidify their Jewish feelings of superiority of we are God's people. We're God's chosen people. Of course, we'll be saved. But it's important to notice though, even though the underlying motivation may be of superiority, even though the question may really just be of theological curiosity, Jesus still graciously receives it. Curiosity. Years ago, there was a sign uh, in the window of a small English business and the sign read the following. The sign said, we have been established for over a hundred years and have been pleasing our displeasing customers ever since. Some of you business owners can identify with that. We have made money and lost money. We've suffered the effects of coal nationalization, coal rationing, government control, and bad payers. We've been cussed and discussed, messed about, lied to, held up, robbed, and swindled. The only reason we stay in business is to see what happens next curiosity Lord will those who are saved be many Lord will those who are saved be few these are just curious questions but Jesus graciously receives the question and look what happens next in verse 24 through 27 and Jesus said to them so someone asked him this question and Jesus said to them strive to enter through the narrow door for many I tell you will seek to enter and will not be able When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door 
and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know you. Excuse me, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. So you see what's happening, this, this question, this curiosity uh, of this man is expressed. Jesus graciously received the question and what's happening is he's now compassionately redirecting his listeners to their own urgent personal need, away from this question to their own urgent personal need. And, and really when you read that, two things are clear immediately. One is this, he doesn't answer the question directly, does he? He doesn't say, yes, it's going to be few or no, it's going to be many. He doesn't answer the question directly. He refuses to let this question be a matter of theological discussion, theological debate, intellectual curiosity. He said, we're not going to play that game. And he immediately redirects his listeners to their own urgent personal need. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able so he doesn't answer the question directly. That's the first thing. But the second thing is clear in his reply is that he, what he's really saying is you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, will those who are saved be few? It's as if he's saying, y'all don't need to worry about whether few will be saved or many will be saved. That's the wrong question. The right question is who can be saved? How can you individually, personally be saved? That's the question. And he says, there is a door to salvation. There's an opportunity to be saved, but the door's narrow and the urgency is now. It reminds us uh, of, the, of the passage, if you're taking notes, write down Matthew 7. There's a great part of Matthew 7 where Jesus says something very similar and he implores his listeners saying this, enter through the narrow gate. You know this passage? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. It's very similar. And what he's doing here is he's addressing their spiritual complacency. He's addressing their spiritual presumption indicating really that many of his listeners right then, many of his listeners will not be saved, will not be in the kingdom of God. He's saying it doesn't really matter how few or how many. What, make sure, what you need to make sure of is that you're one who will be saved. And he says this in answer to the question, Lord, will those who are saved be few? He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. Strive, a word that means wholehearted uh, pursuit. Uh, it's, it's from a Greek word, um, not that I'm going to try to impress you with my Greek because it's not that good anymore, but the Greek word is agonizomai. We get the English word agonize from it. Strive, agonize, pursue it wholeheartedly, press on, run with perseverance, agonize to enter the kingdom. It's important to say what he's not saying here too. He's not saying, therefore, human effort merits you salvation. He's not saying that. He's not saying uh, human effort, human achievements in any way merit salvation. We know that because of the clear teaching of Scripture in our, in our uh, assurance of pardon just a few minutes ago. 
um, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, right? And he goes on and says, and this, your faith, he said, even this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So it's clear we're saved by faith and even the faith is a gift. But then Paul goes on in Philippians and says this in Philippians 2. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation. Kind of like Jesus saying, strive. Yes, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. But we have to grow in our faith. We, we call it sanctification where we over time we're cooperating with the spirit and over time we're enabled to die more and more to sin and live more and more the way the Lord wants us to live through spirit-empowered effort, striving to grow in faith, striving to grow in grace. That's what he's saying. And, and when Jesus is speaking in this passage really about the free offer of salvation, he's, he's saying three different things. He's saying, yes, it involves striving. Striving wholehearted pursuit through the narrow door which is Christ himself but he's also saying that this free offer of salvation has an expiration date as a time limit <coughs> excuse me a time limit on it verse 25 look at verse 25 you see the time limit he says when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside in the knock at the door saying Lord open to us then he will answer you, I don't know where you come from. He's saying the door of opportunity is open right now, but it doesn't stay open forever. When it's finally shut, it'll be too late. He's saying there's an urgency to making this decision to strive to enter through the narrow gate through Christ. There's an urgency that's now. <coughs> so he's saying those two things. And the third thing he's saying here is that there are obstacles that have to be identified and overcome. Because salvation involves far more than familiarity with Jesus. Let me say it again. Salvation involves far more than familiarity with Jesus. In verse 26, he says, Then you'll begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Jesus is painting a picture here. He's saying, some of you are going to say, hey, Jesus, remember us? You taught in our streets. Remember us? We ate and drank with you. And Jesus is rejecting this superficial familiarity with him and saying, that's not the same thing as saving faith. He's saying being in physical proximity to Jesus and, and he would say to us and to Jesus' church is not the same thing as saving faith. He's saying presumption of salvation through your proximity to Jesus is not the same thing. Presumption of salvation through privilege. These men, these people, his listeners would have said we're children of Abraham. We're the chosen people. We've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We've got all the prophets on our, in our spiritual heritage. Jesus is saying that's not enough. He would say to us, if we were to say, you know, hey, I'm a member of Lookout Mount Presbyterian Church. He'd say that's not the same thing as saving faith. 
My parents were leaders in the church. I taught Sunday school in the church. He would say, presumption of salvation through privilege is not the same thing as saving faith. I love the book of James. James is a tough book, though. But I love the book of James. And in James chapter 2, there's an interesting uh, part where James talks about uh, what the demons believe. And, and, uh, and let me just, let me play with what James says a minute. If I were to say to you, I believe in the sovereignty of God over all of his creation. I believe in the virgin birth of Jesus. I believe in his completely sinless life. I believe that he died on a Roman cross and he was bodily resurrected from the grave three days later. I believe all those things are true. James would say, great, even the demons know that's true. And they shudder. They have an emotional response to that. James would say theologically accurate doctrine can't save us. Familiarity with Jesus and his church can't save us. Presumption of salvation through proximity to Jesus can't save us. Only placing our trust personally and individually in Christ, only resting in his finished work can save us. Only knowing that our sins were paid for on the cross and his righteousness is given to us by faith can save us. Jesus graciously uh, receives a curious question. He compassionately redirects his listeners towards their urgent personal need. And lastly, he surprisingly illustrates the ultimate question. Look at verse 28 through 30. (coughs) In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Imagine, imagine if you can, how his listeners would have heard that. These hard words, but gracious words, words of warning. He's saying to them, he's saying to us, The ultimate surprise is coming if we don't repent and place our trust in him. That's what he's saying. The ultimate surprise is coming when you're cast out into the place that he says of of weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see, imagine being a Jew sitting there thinking, I've got Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in my lineage. And he's saying, yep, they'll be there at the table, but you'll be cast out. Not only that, he's saying there's surprises for who's in and who's out. When he talks about people coming from the east and west and north and south, what he's talking about is the Gentiles will be coming from all over the earth. The Gentiles will be coming and they will be in the kingdom. Imagine that didn't go over very well. He's saying the Gentiles that you hate and you look down on so much, the Gentiles that you will cross the road so that their shadow doesn't land on you, they're going to be well represented in the kingdom. He's saying the, the Gentiles will be reclining at the kingdom or at the table in the kingdom of God, but he's saying to the, the stubborn Jews who refuse to repent, who refuse to trust in Christ, but are counting on their Jewishness to gain them something with God. He's saying you're going to be disappointed. And he's saying, in a sense, the same to us. If we're self-righteous churchgoers that are not really resting in Christ alone for our salvation, but are counting on the fact that we're members of a local church and we're not like those people out there. 
He's saying we'll be sorely disappointed. I need to close. Let's close with really the the ultimate questions that Jesus puts before all of us from this passage. The questions that only we individually can answer. Nobody can answer them for us. Jesus would ask us, have you entered through the narrow door through Christ himself? Is that settled? Or are you counting on your goodness? Are you striving to grow in grace? After entering through Jesus, through faith in him, are you striving to grow in grace each day? And do you realize that there's an urgency to his call? And lastly, and maybe this is the most important one really, is is a familiarity with Jesus and the things of his church and a presumption upon him a much better description of where you are spiritually than just total surrender to him and casting yourself on his mercy? That's what he offers. Let's make sure those questions are settled today. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we began with the words of John Newton about the gifts of Scripture and the importance of Scripture, we rejoice that you have placed this treasure in our hands. And as we reflect on this Lord's Day, Lord, as we go into this beautiful afternoon, give us time to to reflect on these questions and on this passage We ask, Lord, we earnestly ask that you would help us to rightly discern the answers. Have we entered the kingdom of God through the narrow door, through Jesus himself? Or are we really just trusting in our own goodness and playing church? Help us to answer uh, the question, Lord, and recognize the urgency and and then strive by faith, by cooperating with your spirit that we might grow in grace for even as we prayed at the beginning of this message lord we would love to be living lives that don't just bring joy and fulfillment to us but that actually bring glory to you work in our hearts to that end we pray in jesus name amen